Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. To all you fathers out there, I'd like to say I'm honored to have uh, this opportunity to speak with you on Father's Day. In just a minute, we're going to be looking at John chapter 15, so you can find that place uh, in the Bible. (laughs) The situation had deteriorated to the point that the small group and its leader could no longer be seen in public. They had to get away. The leader of this small group, Jesus, had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And this was something that had pushed the religious leaders over the top. They were incensed and they had to get rid of this guy, Jesus. The Passover feast was about to happen and people were pouring into Jerusalem for the feast. The religious leaders were wondering, would Jesus show up? And so a plan began to be formed by them. This would be their opportunity to seize him and to get rid of this problem once and for all. And Jesus knew. Now we're going to be in the book of John and most of the book of John happens in and around Jerusalem and it's leading up to and during the feast of Passover. In John chapter 12, Jesus is hanging around with his friends in Bethany just outside of Jerusalem. Uh, And this is Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And it's six days before the Passover. So from chapter 12 to the end of the book, we're in this uh, close to and Passover time. Jesus' last days on earth are spent in and around Jerusalem with his disciples. And as they spend these last days together, Jesus has a lot that he needs to say to them. Some of the most important words that Jesus spoke are in the coming chapters in the book of John. And so we're going to be looking at some of those words this morning. But I want us to consider a couple things so that we understand completely what's about to take place and what the setting is. First of all, at the home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had just raised from the dead, they were having a meal together. And John tells us in uh, John chapter 12 that Judas Iscariot was intending to betray Jesus. And this is where we learn that Judas had been stealing money from the money box. The next day, Jesus entered Jerusalem publicly. And the crowd welcomed him and praised him. And this is what we typically call, typically call the triumphal entry. So he spent some time with the crowds and then he had to leave the city again. Too much attention was coming his way. On Thursday night, he had his last meal with the disciples. And this is in John chapter 13. This is what we call the Last Supper. And um, this is where he washes the disciples' feet and that sort of thing. Well, in the Last Supper, we learn a few more things. First of all, it says in uh, John 13, 2, that the devil put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. A couple verses later, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says to his disciples, you are clean. He declares them clean, and he says, you are clean except for one. And then later that evening, Jesus became very troubled in his spirit, And he said, one of you will betray me. And so this whole notion of betrayal by Judas is coming to the top. Uh, It says in John, in uh, chapter 13, it says that Satan entered Judas. And then Jesus said to Judas, what you're going to do, go do quickly. 
And so Judas was dismissed and he left the 11 and he was never to be a part of the disciples again. And so now with Judas gone, it's just the 11. And Jesus says this in chapter 13, verses 31 and 32 to, to the 11. He says, when therefore Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the time the son of man to be glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. So notice the words now and immediately. Jesus is very plainly telling the disciples now what's about to happen. So the mission that the Father sent Jesus on to fulfill was unfolding at this very time. And Jesus had to say a lot to his followers. He had to get them ready. And so from this point in John all the way through chapter 17, these are the last words of Jesus before he is arrested. Well, they finished supper, and at the end of supper time in John chapter 14, uh, at the end of John chapter 14, Jesus says, arise and let us go from here. So at this point, they're leaving the supper place, and they start to walk toward the garden. So John 15, 16, and 17 are all words of Jesus that were probably spoken as they walked from the place of the Last Supper toward the garden where he's arrested. And then in chapter 18, verse 1 is when they enter the garden, and Jake preached a couple of weeks ago about the, the arrest of Jesus, and that's where that takes place. So we're looking at Jesus' final words to the disciples as they walk from the supper place toward the garden uh, in preparation for what was about to happen. So he was giving them on this final walk the exact words that they needed to face what was going to go on. Now, they didn't fully realize, the 11 didn't fully realize or understand what Jesus meant about being glorified in the Father. But they were about to be without Jesus. How would they live without him? In these last words, Jesus teaches them exactly what it means to be his follower. So that's the importance of these words. He is talking to them. He's going to talk to them about how to live without his presence. He's going to be gone. How do you live in faith? How do you be fruitful as a believer? How do you love the way Jesus loved? How do you do the same works that Jesus did? He promises them, you'll do the same works that I did. And then how do you endure the, the, the persecution that's going to certainly come to them? So in John 15, Jesus gives them one of the key teachings on how to remain a fruitful follower and how to stay connected to Jesus when he's gone. So let me ask you this. Do you ever feel far from God? Have you ever felt like you weren't really connected to him? I became a Christian in um, 1974, pretty long time ago, and I can tell you that I go through periods where I do not feel close to the Lord at all. So how do you do that? How do you stay close to him? How, how do you deal with that? Well, the words we're about to look at apply directly to us as they did to the disciples. And so these words are going to show us how to live a faithful, in a, as a faithful, fruitful follower of Jesus and how to live in his presence all the time. Uh, just a quick word to fathers. Fathers, this is probably the most important thing you can do as a dad is to live connected to Christ. So our main idea is how do you live connected to Jesus? 
And if you live connected to Jesus, you're going to live joyfully and fruitfully. So I'm going to read from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and he dries up and they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So let's take a look at John 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus, the master teacher, uses this vine imagery so that his disciples would remember and fully understand how they were connected to Jesus. This would stick with them. Now, these guys knew about vines and vineyards. They were everywhere. They knew what it took to grow grapes. Uh, As they walked from uh, the supper place to the garden area, it's very possible they walked past a vineyard or two. And so they knew exactly what it meant with this illustration. They also knew that in the Old Testament, Jesus, uh, uh, rather, the Old Testament spoke of Israel as a vine. In Psalm 80, Israel is called the vine that uh, God delivered from Egypt. And so that imagery was a part of, of, of their understanding as well. And so the image that he's using here with a vine is a very meaningful one to the disciples. So what did he say? So let's take it verse by verse. John uh, chapter 15, verse 1. First of all, it says, I am the true vine. So Jesus is saying to them, I'm the true vine, not Israel, but me. Israel had become a fruitless vine, and Jesus is telling them, he says, I'm the source of fruit-producing life. He's saying, I'm the one that the people are connected to and that we'll get life from. And then he says, my father is the vine dresser. The father is the one who tends the vine so that it grows and it produces fruit. Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. So what does a vine dresser do? Well, a vine dresser, first of all, takes away fruitless branches. And this is, our example here is Judas. He was addressing the 11 here because Judas was not even a believer. It looked like he was connected to Jesus. He appeared to be connected to Jesus, but he was not. He left. He didn't really believe. And so the, 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 the vine dresser will remove those fruitless branches because they're not receiving life from the vine. The second thing he does is that he prunes the fruitful branches. 
So these are the branches that are actually growing fruit and they get the vine dresser's attention. He prunes them so that they become even more fruitful. So these are the branches that are really connected to the vine. And these are the ones that are getting life from the vine. And the father makes sure that they're as fruitful as possible. And that's the 11 that are with him. Verse three, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So what does this mean? How does this apply to the 11? Well, Jesus had said previously that you're all clean except for one. So he had declared them clean. Now the word for clean here is the same word used in verse two for prune. So the 11 were pruned, they were cleaned. They were connected to Jesus. They were branches and they were fruitful ones. But they were, and they were where they should be in order to be fruit-bearing followers of the Lord. So how are they clean? Well, it says, you're clean through the word that I have spoken to you. So through the words of Jesus speaking to them, they heard his words, they believed his words, and they were trying to follow and to obey him. So by hearing and living the words of Jesus, the 11 walked with him and they stayed connected to Jesus and they were conforming to Jesus' life in them. Uh, those things that got in the way of uh, bearing fruit were being removed. Verse four and five, he says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. So he tells them outright here, what you have to do is abide. Now, some of your versions may have a different word there. Some of them may have the word remain. So that's a synonym. He says, abide in me, remain in me. Uh, another word, reside, reside in me. Basically what he's saying is live in me. You're a branch. The Father's made you clean. You have my word in you, so stay there, stay in me. These guys were about to have their world upended by the imminent uh, arrest of Jesus and the, the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection. They're probably at this point less than an hour away of the events in John 18 where Jesus is arrested. And, 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 and in the walk, Jesus is gonna tell them plainly several times that I'm going away. I'm not gonna be here any longer. You must remain connected to me. Now, verse six, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. Again, this is Judas. He had already left them. Uh, Jesus already knew that Judas would betray him. Uh, the 11 didn't, I don't think, fully realize what was about to happen with this, but they soon would. Verse seven and eight, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So here's the promise if they remain in Jesus. God will hear them. They will be fruitful and they will be living as true disciples and the father will be glorified by their lives. Verses nine and 10, just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus 
reassured them that the source of their connection to Jesus is God's love uh, and Jesus' love for them. They, were, they would soon have questions and they would soon have confusion and they needed to be assured that they were completely in the center of God's love. And then finally, verse 11, he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He told them that the outcome of this will be joy. The next few days would be extremely difficult and they needed to know that even though the situation would become horribly bleak in their, in their minds, that there would be joy for them at the end. So with these words and then on through uh, chapter 16 and 17, Jesus gives the 11 the final teaching they needed to face what was about to happen. So why are these words important? These important truths would be what they must have in order to remain faithful and to abide in Jesus and continue in him once he's gone. So are these words meaningful for us? Absolutely. What does this mean for us? The primary description in the, in the New Testament for a believer is to be in Christ. So you'll see those words a lot in Paul's, uh, Paul's writings. You'll see them in the book of Acts. When a believer is talked about, they say he is often, it's said, uh, he or she is in Christ. And that's an image that I think the branch helps us to keep in mind. This picture, this metaphor of being a branch is a wonderful way to understand our position in Christ. So if we get this and we understand what it means to abide in Christ, we're going to have a fruitful and joyful walk with the Lord. Understanding this is a way to help us stay connected and feel connected and be connected to the Lord. So a few points. What does it mean to abide? First of all, you have to believe. The starting place is always faith in Christ, that his death and his resurrection for you have, and you've put your trust in him faith that you're connected to God the Father through Christ. So the first question is, have you placed your faith in Christ? Do you believe that he died on the cross for you and that his resurrection is for your new life? Secondly, it means to live in Christ. Again, the word abide means remain, to reside, to live there. If you're a Christian, you are a branch. You are connected to Jesus. We don't connect ourselves to Jesus through any effort of our own, uh, no more than a branch can connect itself to a tree. If we believe in Jesus, we are a branch. Faith connects us to Jesus. To abide means to live in that union with Christ, to live day to day as a person in Christ. So here's an example. So uh, we're citizens of the country and uh, we have laws that we have to abide by. So. If we abide by the laws of the land, then we are considered to be law-abiding citizens. So we don't do things to become citizens. We do things to live within that citizenship that we have. We abide by the law. So you can be a law-abiding citizen if you remain within the law. You function within uh, the, the, the guidelines and constraints of the law. I am a law-abiding citizen most of the time, except when I drive. I have to confess that sometimes I go too fast and I get impatient. 
Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to say this or not, but I've actually created situations on the highway that could have very easily become road rage. So I have to step back and, and, and work on being patient. Um, if I let my impatience take over and I speed to get around someone or change lanes too quickly or whatever, then I can get into trouble. So that's something I have to work to abide in. I have to abide by the rules of the road uh, so that uh, things don't go bad. So abiding for me in this area of my life requires me to be especially attentive and to make sure that I remain within the rules of how I'm supposed to drive. Here's another example. If you're married, you entered into a covenant with your spouse and your responsibility is to keep the promises you made when you got married. Now you're not working to become married, you are married, you're working to abide by the marriage covenant. So to do that, you what? You honor your spouse, you remain faithful, you communicate regularly, you live selflessly, and you live in love. And so that's how you stay within the confines of the marriage covenant. You live in that place that you've been brought. So next question, are you living in Christ? Are you residing there? Are you remaining there? Are you doing things to go outside of that relationship of being in Christ? Or are you remaining within the faithful relationship that you have with Jesus? The next thing we're going to look at is submit to pruning. As the vine dresser, the father is the one who prunes the branches. The goal of the vine dresser is that the vine grow and flourish and produce years of abundant grapes. You guys, this is God's will for you. God's will is that you are an abundant fruit producing believer. Now pruning is not bad. It's necessary and it's vital to the health of the vine. So as I was prepping for this, I was you know, doing what you do, you Google and you look online about uh, vineyards and stuff like that. And it was pretty interesting learning a little bit about what it takes to, uh, to uh, grow grapes. And I learned that there's two different kinds of pruning. There's winter pruning, and that happens in the off season. And, you know, there's no leaves on the vines, they're all bare. But the vine dresser cuts away big portions that might not be as fruitful in order to let those branches have the maximum amount of nourishment and to become fruitful. So this winter pruning is kind of a more severe uh, kind of a pruning. And we might go through something like that. If you're going through a, a particularly difficult time and you feel like things are going bad, maybe this is a winter pruning in your life. Maybe God is doing something kind of big to make sure that you are prepared to be a fruit-bearing kind of a believer. The other pruning is done in the summertime. So they actually do summer pruning. And this is when everything's growing and there's fruit on the vine, but they have to remove some of the branches so that the sunlight gets to the fruit appropriately. And in addition to that, they want airflow there because if it, dis if it stays too damp, mold is a big deal with grapes and they have to fight that off. So there's pruning that happens to expose the fruit. And in these kind of less severe uh, uh, pruning situations, we have to depend. So maybe there's something going on in your life, maybe even a daily challenge that you have that could be God pruning you. 
what he's doing is preparing you for growth. He's preparing you uh, to maximize your fruit-bearing ability. Now, keep in mind, pruning always takes something away. It simplifies and it brings into focus what is important and what is godly and fruitful in your walk with Christ. So if you're wondering if you're being pruned, if it, if it simplifies things so that your focus is more on Christ, then that's God the Father, the vine dresser, pruning you. It makes way for healthy growth that would not happen without the pruning. So is the Father pruning and cleaning you? Is God working in you to clear away and to simplify so that you're being more fruitful. And then the final thing is to obey. The primary vehicle for abiding is obedience to God's word, uh, the scriptures. Jesus told the disciples in verse three, you are already clean, you are already pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. So finally, are you regularly reacting and interacting with the words of Jesus so that they impact you and you know them so that they can make you clean. So the results of abiding will be that you bear fruit. The results of the abiding will be that you have joy. And the results of the abiding will be that you live a more connected life in Christ. So the hope is this image of the vine puts a picture in you just like it did the disciples so that you can remember and imagine and see yourself as being that branch connected to Jesus, receiving life from him and live in that life day by day. So here's a quick call to action. Number one, do a self-check. Are you living in Christ? Number two, Is God doing something in your life, pruning you? I think a good thing to do would be to get with somebody, talk to somebody about how God is pruning you. Processing with a friend, a spouse, somebody in your loop group can be a very helpful thing to to do. And then finally, pick one command of Jesus this week to focus on. So I encourage you to consider these and to make sure you're living in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the call to be in you. Teach us, Lord, how to be in you, how to be fruitful, and how to know that we're connected with you every day.